You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our monthly topical study. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. I got a lot of speeding tickets. I think I've had my license suspended two times, maybe three times. I think the second or third time my license was suspended, they like, I, I got taken away for a year because there was like certain laws that like I couldn't, I couldn't drive for like a year. I still drove. Um, I just try not to get caught. <laughs> why was I, I don't know, like, and when I try to trace back why I was such a bad driver, no, no, see, like, I wasn't a bad driver. I, th- I was a great driver. That was the problem. I was such a good driver. I was so skilled, so fast, you know? It's because when I turned 16, and some of you guys already, you know, I've told you guys this story before, but when I turned 16, this ground bit, world-shattering movie came out called Fast and the Furious, all right? The first one, the best one, <laughs> Okay. And we were enthralled. We watched that movie and I was 16. We saw the the cars and saw the racing and we're like, that's how you're supposed to drive. And I remember we all, literally everyone got out from that movie and everyone just like, you know, you can hear tires screeching as people just raced off into the night trying to be like Vin Diesel and, you know, just trying to drive. We thought that's how you're supposed to drive. And then what resulted in the following year was multiple speeding tickets and my license getting suspended because I thought like, yeah, like, you know, when you watch those movies, that's not real life, right? They don't stop at stoplights, right? They don't, or stop sign. They don't make a full stop at stop signs, right? You don't see any of that. They're just barreling around, just doing whatever. And so we know that, like, you would know, they'd be like, Pastor Joe, they know that's not real life. You're not, that's not how you're supposed to, you know, learn how to drive by watching Fast and the Furious, right? You don't learn how to fight by watching action movies. If you try to like fight in real life by watching tons of action movies and be like, now I know this is how you fight. You know, I don't know if you watch action movies, but they just do ridiculous things, right? Like people like will jump and punch someone in the face. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? And they like spin around, do all these crazy flips and things like that. Like that's none of that works in real life fighting. That's not real. You're not, you don't watch action movies to learn how to fight. In the same way, that's not how we should learn how to have relationships or learn how to have sex or learn how to like have romantic relationships. But the funny thing is like, it's really obvious when we talk about like action and fighting and driving, you don't learn how to drive in real life by watching movies. But then it's funny because when it comes to like romance and dating and sexual relationships, where do most of us learn how this is supposed to happen? From movies, TV shows, right? Songs that we listen to. And then we're suddenly we're like, oh, this is the standard. This is how these things are supposed to work, right? And for some reason, no one thinks that's, there's a problem with that. And then we wonder why so, there's so much brokenness in this area for a lot of our lives. Um, so if you haven't figured out, we're, I'm going to talk about sex today. It's a sex talk. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we, um, 
I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we talk about this most uh, sacred of topics. Um, Lord, it's such an area of brokenness in our uh, generation and our culture. But God, there is, uh, there is hope and there is redemption in you. So Holy Spirit, speak to us clearly and help our hearts to be open and humble before you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be taking a break from Matthew for uh, a week or two as we talk about this subject of uh, yeah, mainly sex and then everything around it. Because, yeah, who should we go to to learn about sex, right? I already said movies and pop culture and, and love songs are a terrible place to learn about this subject because the people who are singing about these things and writing songs about love and sex, which is what most pop songs are actually about. When there's about, there's a, I think there's something like 90% of pop songs are about like sex and romance, right? And the people who write those songs have no idea what they're talking about either because they're all around, they're all young people who are just writing about their feelings and then the other half of all the songs are about breakups, right? So you can see that these are not good examples to follow because the half of the other half of all popular songs are about breakup and, and the heartbreak. Where we should go is we should go to the one who created it, right? The designer of sex, life, relationships. So often we, we go to all these other, the wrong places, to find information about it. And you know, your parents aren't gonna tell you, right? Unless you do talk to your parents about this, then like, that's great. <laughs> like keep doing that. Uh, but for a lot of us, no one ever talks about this. And I'm sorry and I apologize uh, as a church. I, we haven't preached on this in a while. Uh, and, and so you're like, I don't care, Pastor Joe. <laughs> like, it's like, well, you know, we need to talk about it more. And so uh, because we haven't, it's been so long since we talked about this subject, I just have to, today, we're, I'm just going to be laying some groundwork, some foundational things about what the Bible and what the Lord and his, um, what he says about sex and, and marriage and things like that. And then next week, we're probably going to go a little bit more practical into how to deal with like real life situations and how to deal with like sexual sin and things like that. So today is going to be a little bit more just a survey of what, yeah, what does the Bible say? What does God say about this subject? Next week, we're going to talk about a little bit more of the practical things. You guys good? So have your Bibles ready. We're going to go. We have a lot of verses we're going to go through today. But we're going to start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. What does God say about sex in Genesis chapter 1? So today's sermon, while you guys are turning there, it should be really easy to find. We're going to try to get through four sections where we're going to talk about the subject. Number one, I'm going to talk about just sex. Like, what is it? Why? Why is it? <laughs> right? So sex. And then I'm going to talk about sin. What is sexual sin? And then I'm going to talk about surrender. And then I'm going to talk about sanctification. So it's like four S words about sex. Right? So first, we're going to talk about what sex is, what it's for. Uh, Genesis chapter one, verse 27 to 28. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. The fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there it is. The very first commandment that God gave to human beings involves and cannot be separated from sex, 
So you, you think God doesn't talk about sex? It's literally the first thing he tells human beings to do, right? You guys think the commandments of God are boring and restrictive, but right here, right off the bat, God's like, I have created you in my image. Now, have some sex. <laughs> because the thing, the, the, our purpose as human beings is to be fruitful and to multiply, right? And that happens through sex. If some of you, if this is something new to you, um, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> right? Sex is the way living things reproduce. It is the sacred, it's a sacred way that God has designed to multiply the gift of life that he gave, right? It's crazy. If you think about it, like sex is the thing that is the vehicle in which life, the gift of life is multiplied. It's the joining of two separate individuals to create a brand new individual. That's crazy. And if you think about it, an unbroken chain of life that comes from, that starts from God to the very first human beings to us is just a, a unbroken chain of sex. Wow. <laughs> right? And it's, um, some of you are like, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at this or I'm, I'm not sure because I'm at church and we, we're talking about this, what's happening right now. But it's crazy because it's, it's been pretty efficient. There are over 7.5 billion human beings on the earth right now, more than at any other time in history. So this sex thing is, is pretty effective, right? It works pretty well. God knew what he was doing when he, when he came up with it, right? We're all here because of sex. Thank God. Thanks, mom and dad, right? You can think about that. Sex becomes a little less sexy when you think about what it took for you to get here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I could just end the sermon. Like, let's just pray. <laughs> Next time you, you, you start to struggle, just think about that, and then your desires will disappear. <laughs> so sex is pretty important, all right? And like anything else that's super important, we need, and that's like, that's really sacred and important, we need to treat it like it's, and take care of it. Uh, we, re we need to remember that the first and main purpose of sex, I know this is going to be like shocking to some of you, but the purpose, the main purpose of sex is to create new life, is to have babies. I know like that's so obvious, but for some reason, we don't, We've, our culture has done everything it can to separate the purpose of sex from sex, right? Everything about sex, we try to get it as far away from what its original intention and design is for. God created sex so that we can create more people, right? But then the majority of what we think about sex and talk about sex has nothing to do with getting ready to build a family. It has everything to do with what? just your own pleasure, right? Has everything to do with just how like good, you know, it's just about you and your relationship and having fun and doing things. It like has nothing to do with raising children and building a family and filling the world with more of God's image. It has everything to do with just yourself having a good time and it's become such an individualized thing. So we need to realize when we have to remember and bring back what sex is for. And why God made it. It's to create new life. And when we deviate from God's purpose for anything, it becomes a problem. 
So let's so when you're when you're wondering about like like sex, is it okay if I can you know? And then I'll just ask you like, are you ready to create a new life? Are you in a position in your life to take care of another human life? Right? You're like, no way, <laughs> right? It's like, no way. I'm I'm like, I'm 15. There's no way I can take care of another human being right now. There's no way I can like be responsible for a kid. Then, hey, you should probably not be having sex because that's why God created it. All right. God made sex to create life. And if you're not ready to create life, then you should probably stay away from it. Right. If you're not ready to start a family, then you should probably not think about having sex yet. So that's the first thing. The first purpose of sex. It's it's to create life. It's procreation, right? The next purpose of sex that God made is for unity. Is it's to bring together two individuals that were separate and to make them one. Genesis chapter 2, next if you want to flip the page, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 to 25, it says this. And this is the first instance right right here in the second chapter, it talks about what marriage is supposed to be. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There it is. Sex is to bring two separate individuals and to make them one flesh. Okay? The word flesh in the... In the Hebrew is talking more than just body, but it's talking about your whole selves. It's taking two lives and then making them into one life, a shared life, a shared identity, not just your bodies, but your everything becomes shared. That's why when you get married, you become one family. You, you know, you have like all of your stuff now you own together. Like that's why when you get married legally, like you, you know, people share their last, they change their names and things like that. Like all of these things, not just a physical oneness, but everything, even legally, you become one unit, right? And that is the context of which God wanted sex. Sex is a part of that. It's part of bringing together two to become one to bring together in unity. Sex binds together a husband and wife and sex creates new life. That's the purpose of sex. That's what he created it for. So that, that's what it's for, okay? Some of the, I, I know some of you guys are like, none of this is new, but I don't know. I think we just need to be reminded of what this is, what it's for. And it's an amazing gift and it's such a, uh, it's a sacred and beautiful thing that God has created. And it's, supposed to be in the context of biblical marriage, right? The context for sex is in biblical marriage, a commitment, a commitment, a lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. In Mark chapter 10, verse six and nine, Jesus, he pretty much uh, reiterates and echoes what Genesis two uh, says. Jesus says, from the beginning, in verse six, the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus here is reiterating Genesis two. And he, and here's the things here. He's reminding us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the context of, of marriage and the context of sex. Number one, it says, if you look at what Jesus says, it says male and female, right? 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's, and it's between one man and one woman. It says the two will become one. It's not three will become one or five and six will become one. It's two will become one. All right? The original design for marriage is one and one equals one. <laughs> right? That's it. It's not four. You know, it's not. It's just one and one. And then in marriage is the legal creation of a new family unit. The man and the woman will leave their, the household of their father and their mother, leave the family unit that they used to live in before, and now they come together and they, be, they create a new family unit, a separate family unit. And that is what marriage is. And it's in that context is supposed to be where sex like lives and, and, and does its thing. All right, so that you, you guys get that. Do you see where we're getting that? We're not just making all this up. This is from the context that Jesus talks about here, all right? And so, like, if you are dating somebody and you like, you're like, I love this person, and we're gonna be together forever, but then legally you're still under your parents, right? Then you're not ready to have sex because you are not. You did not leave your mother and your father to become one with this person to create a family. And you're like, man, I, I wouldn't want to leave my family for this person. Then you probably shouldn't be having sex with them. You know what I'm saying? And so that's the context. Biblical marriage is the context for sex because within that structure, can a family be built? Can you bring a new life into this world in a way that is healthy? That's the way that God designed it to be, right? And it's a good gift. And when you separate a good gift from its intended purpose, then we have problems. Let me give you an example. The gift of fire, right? Fire is really important for the development of humanity. Without fire, we would not have survived very long. Fire enables us to cook food. It gives us heat, power, warmth, illumination, energy. We are able to create electricity because we are able to harness the power of fire. It gives us comfort. You know, when you go camping, you roast marshmallows on it. It's a good time, right? Fire is super important. And as long as fire is kept within the right context, it is an incredible blessing to the world, right? As long as you keep it in a fireplace, it keeps your house warm. But what happens when the fire leaves the, its intended context? What does fire do? It destroys everything, right? Inside of a fireplace, it warms and lights up the house. As soon as that fire leaves the fireplace, it will burn the house down. Does that make sense? Fire is so good for life, but outside of its context, it will destroy life. And just like that, sex is an incredible good. Inside of its context, it creates life and family and love and intimacy and unity and pleasure. But then outside of that context, it will destroy lives. And that's why it's so dangerous outside of the context that God has designed it for. Let's talk about sexual immorality. So that's the purpose of sex. That's why God created it. But then outside, anything outside of that context is what we call, the Bible calls sexual immorality. So what does the word sexual immorality 
mean whenever you read in the bible it says sexual immorality the literal greek word for sexual immorality is the word porneia it's a that that word means a perversion of it's a it's taking what is good and it is perverting it sexual immorality when is se- when sex is separated from the original context and purpose when sexual acts are taken out of a lifelong commitment and relationship between one man and one woman who are ready to be their own family then that is sexual immorality it is a perversion and a diversion from the design so sex outside of marriage is sin it's immorality if you're having sex without a lifelong commitment and you are not a family and you're not ready to create life then that is sin it's outside of God's design and it is dangerous and it is harmful. So what does that mean? That means yes, premarital sex is sexual immorality. Right? People are like, "Where does this say?" You know, like it, you know, in the Jewish culture, they didn't have to spell it out for the people in the in the days of the Old Test in the New Testament because it was just understood in the Jewish culture that you were not supposed to have sex unless you were married it was just a cultural thing in Deuteronomy chapter 22 uh, verse 21 this is what happens when uh, a woman is found to not be a virgin on the day of her marriage okay she shall be brought to the door of her father's house and there the men of her house shall stone her to death because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being pres- promiscuous while still being in her father's house you must purge the evil from among you Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 21 so what does that say in the in the Jewish culture of that time it was just understood being promiscuous while remember not while you're under still your father and mother's household that means you are not you are you're unmarried and back then when you're unmarried that means you're still part of the household of your mother and father and once you get married you are now a part of a different household so while you're unmarried if you are sleeping around doesn't matter with whom right then is it is considered outrageous and evil in the sight of god and they were supposed they they were allowed to kill you for it that's how serious they took premarital sex in the jewish culture in the book of deuteronomy okay now let's just let's just try to make sense of that right if all the women who were unmarried were not were not supposed to have sex until they got married then who are all the unmarried men supposed to have sex with yeah nobody because there are no eligible under the law of God and the, under the law of Moses there are no eligible people for them to have sex with because all of the women who are unmarried were not supposed to have sex so if they were following the laws of Moses then because uh, this law only goes for the women but that means also the men legally have no one to have sex with either so they too are not supposed to have sex before they get married as well so it was just understood in the Jewish laws that premarital sex was was against God's design and his desire. So if you're wondering, our culture, that's a blurry line. People are like, "Well, you know, if we've been dating for a long time, what do we do? We got we we got to move in together, right?" And and, and things like that. We treat it so casually. It's sexual immorality. And so So there you go. There's that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2. It says but because of temp- the temptation of sexual immorality each man should have his own wife 
and each woman her own husband. So Paul says, if, you're, if you really want to have sex, because you know, you're a human being, then get married. But like, I don't want to get married. Then, then keep it together, man. <laughs> All right? But if you really need, if you really can't control yourself, then hurry up and get married. So some of you, maybe today, you need to call your parents and be like, or go talk to your mom, I need to get married. Like right now, you know? The Bible, tell, Bible says so, <laughs> you know? Well, then, you know, you have that talk. Adultery, obviously, is sexual immorality. That is having sex with someone who is married or you being married and having sex outside of your own marriage, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, that says, you sh- thou shall not commit adultery, right? Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulterous. Adultery is sexual immorality. Premarital sex is sexual uh, is immorality. Homosexuality, also sexual immorality, according to the Bible. Romans chapter 12, or Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 27. Therefore, God gave them up. He's talking about people who have rebelled against God. He, have, he has given them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women, exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Like we said, the context for sex is between one man, one woman in the context of a committed relationship to create family and life, right? And homosexuality is outside of that context. And therefore, it is considered sexual immorality. That's not a popular thing to say today. But that's what it says. And those are the standards of God. Here's the thing. When it comes to any sexual sin, We are supposed to love all people, right? We have no right to judge anyone harder than anyone else because of certain sexual sins. The grace of God is for everyone and is not our place to judge people. As we talk about all of these sexual sins, I need you guys to understand that it is not our place to judge anyone. Let's continue on. Lustful thoughts, pornography. Is that sin? Yes, it is, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse, 20, uh, verse 28, Jesus says, But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? Remember, any sex or even sexual intention outside of the context of biblical marriage is considered sexual immorality, is considered sin. So that includes lustful thoughts and pornography, 
growing up, we, the, that was always a question. People would be like, what about pornography? Is that a sin? I mean, it's not with anybody. You know, it's not with any real people. You know, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's just just me, myself, and my computer. You know, it's just, just you know, no big deal. doesn't hurt anyone. It's natural. Everyone does it. But then what is Jesus talking about here then? How do you look at pornography without thinking lustfully about the people that you're looking at? Now, are you married to those people? No, you're not. You're literally, I feel like, like we might look at like these other, other sexual things and be like, oh, those are really bad. But this is not any less bad than any other sexual immorality. Because this, in fact, like I feel like pornography is like the furthest thing away from what sex is supposed to be more than maybe any other thing. Because like all the other like acts of sexual sin is still with another human being, right? But then like pornography is you're literally isolated by yourself. And sex is, is supposed to be something that you share with someone else, right? We're going even further away from God's intention for our sexuality when we make sex about yourself, about nothing but pleasure, and you're completely isolated and cut off from anyone, right? So is sex, is pornography sin? Yeah, it is. And the consequences of sin, of sexual sin outside of the context of God's design, here are some of the, the consequences of sexual immorality. Separation from God's presence. That's a consequence of sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, and he goes on and on listing all these other sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is what sexual sin does. It separates us from the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But if our hearts are not pure, then we will not be able to see God. The consequences of sexual immorality. Instead of creating life, sexual immorality does the opposite. It causes death. I mean, we prayed about that today. You know, since we started keeping track in 1970, and that's just the ones we keep track of, there's been reported 45, uh, 45 million babies who have been aborted in the United States. That's more than all the wars that we've ever fought. And that's, that's a conservative estimate. Sex, something that's supposed to create life. And almost most abortions are unmarried people, right? Yeah, sure, some abortions happen with people who are married, but a, the large majority of abortions happen outside of marriage or people who are unmarried. Because why? Because they're not married, so they, they're not committed to anyone, and there's not a family structure to take care of this child. So what they, they feel like, well, I can't take care of this child by myself, and so they feel like the only option is, is abortion, right? That's what happens when we take something so incredible like sex and then we just treat it like it's nothing and we take it outside of the context of a family in marriage. 
It leads to things like that. And sex was created to create unity between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, to create oneness. But then when you take all sex outside of of a marriage, what is it? Instead of creating oneness between two people, it creates division. Think about it. Think about what sexual immorality has caused in this world. Most divorces, like today, 45% of people who get married, it ends in divorce. Now that's like really sad, but then like a lot of that has to do with sexual immorality, the presence of sexual immorality or adultery. Sex is supposed to be, was made by God to be pleasurable and a gift that that a man and a woman can give to one another. But instead, in our world, because of all the sexual immorality, sex is a, is a subject of pain and has caused so much pain in this world. I mean, we know, I know we hear this a lot, but it's still shocking that, that one in four women will be sexually abused in their lifetime. And one in six men are sexually abused in their lifetime. And these are underreported things, so it could, it could even be higher than that. Sex, something that was supposed to be sacred and create life and, and give pleasure is now causing so much pain. Not just physical pain, but emotional, mental, psychological pain that people carry scars because of sexual experiences their entire lives. Sex is supposed to be about love, but instead the world has taken sex outside of its context and it's turned it into nothing but lust. Instead of connection, it creates more isolation. Instead of selflessness, it causes selfishness. That's what sexual immorality does. It takes the gift of life and God and unity and completely makes it the opposite. When we become Christians, we surrender our lives to Jesus. And when I say we surrender our lives, I mean we give to Jesus control of every part of your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. When you say that you're a Christian, you are someone who has surrendered your life to Christ. Your money, your time, your goal, your decisions, your career, your words, your body, your sexuality, everything. If you become a Christian, you have said, I give to you, Jesus, my life. And that includes your desires and your sexuality. A lot of times we forget that. We're like, you know, we give our lives to Jesus and then we look in the the commandments about what Jesus wants for you and how he wants you to treat your body and your sexuality. And then suddenly we say, no, this is my body. No one tells me what to do with my body, but you gave your life to Jesus. You need to surrender even this part, every part of you to him. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I know guys, we all have sexual desires and not all of them, maybe most of them are not in line with what Jesus and God had designed. That's because we come from a world that is filled with sin. All of us have sexual and moral desires in our hearts, desires that are outside of what God has designed for sex to be, okay? 
All of us do. But you need to surrender those desires to Jesus. Along with everything else in your life. We think that just because you desire it, it's okay. And it, yeah, you're like, I didn't choose to desire some of these things that God doesn't want. I didn't choose this. I've always felt this way. Why would God give me, give me these? Why would he allow me to feel these desires if, if I couldn't just follow it? Right? We t- and we say that and we use that as justification. But imagine if we use that justification and that logic for anything else. Imagine if you just blindly followed your appetites for food. What would that do to your body? If literally everything you desire, you hungered for, you just ate it without any restriction. What would that do to you? It would make you die very fast, <laughs> right? It would, right? Like if you just ate like whatever you desired like to eat, and that's it. That was like the only thing that you went by. Like, yeah, you would not live a full life. It would keep you from actually living a, a real satisfied life. We, make, we, we know you have to put restrictions on your diet. You can't just be ruled by your hunger. That's the same with our sexual desires too. We can't just say, because I desire it and because I want it, that makes it okay. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We are not meant for sexual immorality, even though we have sexually immoral desires. Does that make sense? Even when a man and a woman gets married to each other, guess what? They're still going to have and feel sexual desires for people who are not their spouses. Did you know that? But then here's the thing. You're supposed to not let those desires tell you what to do and you control yourself and you keep the marriage sacred. Imagine if everyone just did, you know, what they wanted and followed their desires. We're not ruled by our desires. This is why I don't let my children eat ice cream for dinner every night. Because they desire it and the desire is real. And I don't know where the desire came from. And it wasn't their choice to desire the ice cream every single night. But I, because I'm their father, will say no to the desires that they have that are not good for them because I know. And they might not understand. Uh, When I say no to Elizabeth, no, you can't have ice cream again tonight. She doesn't understand. She's like, why would you do this to me? Father! Why? And she cannot, I can try to explain. She cannot understand. It's like, this is just how I feel. But I, I'm like, daughter, you got to trust me. You just got to trust me that this is for your good, that I know. We say in our culture, your body, this is my body. No one can tell me what to do with my body, right? That's like a really popular thing we hear a lot right now. And you know what? That's true to a certain extent. Yeah, it's your body and no one, no other body should tell you what to do with your body. You know, ladies, right? No one can tell you except for God because he's not just somebody, <laughs> okay? No other body can tell you what to do with your body, but God is not just somebody, <laughs> right? You gave your body to Jesus, to God, when you became a follower of him. 
That's men and women. We surrendered it over to God. And now our bodies belong to Christ. And we are, we have, we told him, our bodies are yours. We will follow your design for life, for money, for food, for relationships, and even for our sexual desires. We will give them to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other person, uh, every other sin commits outside of the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Give your body to the Lord. Surrender it to Him who is good. Surrender to Him your sexual desires, no matter how broken they are. I know all of us have broken sexual desires, but surrender it to Him anyways. He wants every part of you. He doesn't just want your, your spiritual part of you. He wants the good the bad. He wants your physical, your emotional, your sexual, all of you. And when we surrender all of ourselves to him and we trust him with it, he will sanctify it. He will take all of you, even your broken parts, the parts that you feel like are so dirty or that you're so ashamed of, and he will sanctify you. Even your sexual part of your life, he will sanctify if you surrender it to him. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain, for sec- for, abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not like the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you realize this is what God wants to do? When we, when we give him our whole selves. He will take these parts and he will sanctify us and he will enable us to control ourselves and then to use our bodies in honor in the ways that God wants us to. Give him your brokenness. I know a lot of us are, have sexual addictions in this room, have you know brokenness from our past, from broken relationships. Give it to God. Don't hide it from him. He will transform it. He will heal it and he will make it new. He can redeem you today. Second Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I know all there's a lot of us in this room who have messed up in our pasts in this area. And some of you are struggling right now in that area. And you're like so bogged down. Well, you know, I messed up and I lost this and like, you know, I gave all this away of myself or my heart or whatever. Surrender to him today. Begin today. He has made you new. Some of you are like, I, I already messed up. I've already gone past the point of new, no return. I've already given my virginity away. 
Do you not believe in the power of Jesus? Today, he'll make you new. So starting today, guard that newness like the gift that it is. Don't treat yourself the way you did because of your past. Treat yourself like a pure creation of God today. So I don't care if you messed up yesterday. Today you're new in Jesus. And today your body, your sexuality, everything, bring it into the kingdom of God. Though you might not completely understand why Trust Him. Let Him sanctify you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you were blessed. Join us next week. Han Vision.